0: And, uh, and I never thought that I would ever make a living writing essays, uh, so I appreciate <laughs> the irony of where I am now.
1: With over 300,000 subscribers, Patrick H. Williams is one of YouTube's most prominent film video essays, and some people even call his videos part of a YouTube cinematic universe. But how did he end up in YouTube, and what led him to success? I am Alex the Gamer, and this is Genesis. So let me start with my favorite question to introduce anyone new. When you meet someone new, you make a new friend and the conversation inevitably goes to work and people ask you what's your job, what do you work on, what's your go-to answer?
0: This is a great question because I'm so bad at answering it. Every time I'm like at a, a party or something and I have to explain what I do, I always like breathe this this like long sigh and I'm like, "Okay, let me try to figure out the best way to articulate what I actually do." I usually say, "I am a filmmaker who primarily makes internet videos." That's kind of the simplest way, because I feel like words like YouTuber have so many negative connotations that I try to avoid saying stuff like that. Base word, filmmaker, and then some like descriptors after that.
1: I find it fascinating. By by the time season one of this podcast is over, I think I'm just going going to do a compilation of all the ways everyone just tries to avoid the word YouTuber, because (laughs) I, I see a very common trend now at this point.
0: It's true. It's, it's, it's those things. Like I generally, and, and I'm not saying these words are bad. This, these are just like my feelings about them, but like, I try to avoid the word YouTuber or like the term like content creator and stuff like that. Like I, first and foremost, like the term I like is, is filmmaker. And I, uh, and then I'll, I'll say like, you know, I, I primarily make sort of like long form video essays about cinema. But yeah, I I usually, whenever I got that question, I ramble for a long time, and then I just say, I I don't know. I make these dumb videos. You you can watch them if you want. Don't bother.
1: (laughs) So let's go to the absolute start of this story. Where were you born? I was born
0: in upstate New York. I'm from the town of Saratoga Springs, and I was born 20 minutes north of there in Glens Falls. Uh, And when I say upstate New York, a lot of people take that to mean like Westchester County, like just north of New York City. But I'm actually from four hours north of New York City.
1: Nice. How early in your life did you start generating an interest in cinema?
0: Okay, I have a very clean and simple origin story for this. It began in 1992. So I was about four years old. Uh, So basically what happened was this was a time when, like, one of the biggest cartoons out was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And uh, and I thought it looked really cool, and I wanted to watch it. And I asked my parents if I could watch the show. And I learned what actually happened years later when they told me. They thought it looked annoying and didn't want to have to put up with it. So they told me it was too violent, and I wasn't allowed to watch it. And so instead, they showed me the 1966 Batman movie with Adam West. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. Because they had seen it when they were kids, and they were like, this is this is better, this is like fun, silly stuff that we enjoyed as kids, he'll enjoy that. Uh, My parents were not really tapped into popular culture at the time, so they did not realize what would end up happening was that uh, I would become obsessed with the 1960s Batman movie. It was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. I would just rent it over and over and over again. And it was 1992, the same year that the movie Batman Returns was released and Batman the Animated Series premiered on television. So suddenly I got Into Batman, the year that Batman was exploding across all of media, and uh, and suddenly there were action figures and there were so many comic books there, and so uh, my interest in all of this began with an obsession with Batman, that then led to an interest in comic books, and then also just film and cinema in general. And so, you know, by the age of five, I was just uh, fanatical about all of this stuff.
1: I find it fascinating that their solution to the problem of, of you being obsessed with something annoying is just introducing you to something that I that was at the time like enormously bigger. I know. Like that that was like the best time or the worst if you're a parent to introduce a kid into Batman.
0: It was. And they just weren't aware. They had no idea that that all this stuff was like about to come out. I can only imagine that they immediately realized their mistake. They like turned on the television and like saw ads for this new Batman movie and said, Oh no, what have we done? It's uh now it's everywhere and now now just the world is just feeding this uh, this interest that he has.
1: How did this interest evolve us as, as you grew up? Were you the sort of young preteen or the sort of teen that continued being into these things. Because seeing by by the years that you're telling me, I'm assuming that you're uh, about two years older than I am. And uh, during our teenage years, it wasn't exactly normalized to be into superheroes and comic books. There was, uh, it was considered a very geeky uh, thing before being geeky was good.
0: (laughs) You were completely right about that. I was into comic books and all of that as a kid uh and then it was in 1999 that i i sort of took the next step and started actually like going to the comic book store every week and like bought and f- like following series regularly and at that point in time uh nerd culture was not cool i was basically through pretty much all of high school like a closeted comic book fan i just hid that side of myself from the world because it was just so socially unacceptable yeah i i would just like i if i would make a new friend there would usually be a point where i would tell them so uh by the way i should let you know i i read comic books but yeah but it was not a thing that i you know flaunted and talked about uh you know in school at all and it, it was very interesting seeing the shift happen like when Uh, the first Spider-Man movie opened in May 2002 and suddenly coming to school on Monday and everyone was talking about the thing that I had been into for years. And I was like, oh my God, things are changing. But uh, what basically happened was for years, starting in in elementary school, I really just wanted to be a comic book artist. And I I would be writing and drawing my own comics and uh, and I could draw well for like a, a fifth grader. I wasn't like a genius or anything like that. I just drew Like comic book characters a lot. And I had this moment around, I think, in middle school. So I was probably about 13 or 14, where I had this realization that all of these comic book ideas that I was sort of developing, that I wanted to write and draw, that I was really more interested in skipping ahead and thinking about the film adaptations that could be made of them. And I kind of realized like, oh, wait, as much as I love comics, I'm really... Not so interested in making them. I'm more interested in making movies, and like I would be designing the posters for like the you know the movie adaptations that might eventually be made. And so that's when I realized like oh okay like I love comics, but uh, I I don't have the passion to improve my my artistic skills and get better at like perspective and and anatomy and stuff like that. I really am just interested in filmmaking, and that was when I started shifting over and making my own movies.
1: How was your parents' reaction to that sort of obsession? Were they supportive or were they the kind of being alarmed of how obsessive, how passionate you were about some things that were considered for children during many years?
0: My parents were and have always been extremely supportive. It's interesting. We grew up and I, I'm literally recording this now from my parents' house where I've been staying for the past, I think, like four months. So, yeah, so this is literally the house I grew up in. But I, I grew up in a very sort of secluded area as much as like the the town that I'm technically from and like the school district I went to is just like a like a, a nice like medium size, I'd say, uh, town. I happen to live about ten minutes outside of town in a very rural area on like a quiet country road without other kids around and so it's not like I was in a development like in like a neighborhood where I'd go out and play with a lot of kids. I was kind of my sister and I were on our our own, so it's not like you know my parents were looking at the the other kids in the neighborhood and being like, "Why isn't Patrick into all the things that they're into and to be clear, I did have. Friends, uh, as a child, I was not like you know locked in my room and never socializing. But my parents didn't really care what other people were doing or what was popular with other kids at the time, and they were like, "If if he seems happy and uh, and and has these things that he's passionate about, that's great." And so I, I remember there was a moment. I mean, this was now into high school uh, when I had been getting interested in filmmaking and had, uh, you know, been working with the limited resources we had. I know from my, um, my mom was a teacher from her, her job, they provided her with uh, a big old video camera, the kind that you would put an entire VHS tape into. And I would use that, you know, whenever possible to be, uh, there was no editing capabilities on that. So I, uh, what I could do with that camera was limited, but uh, but I'd be like making movies with that. And so there's a point in 2004 they realized, okay, he seems serious about this. We're going to like for his birthday, we'll get him like a a new camcorder, like a a new. Back then it was mini DV tapes. So they got me a camera when it was time to get a new family computer. Uh, they got a a Mac because it, they knew that that like the 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 base model Macs had. They came with iMovie. They had solid. Uh, editing stuff so so that they were encouraging of these interests. And uh, I think it was just sort of the classic parent thing of, you know, if if our child seems genuinely interested uh in something and something that is healthy, uh let's encourage that. And um and so and I'm I'm really grateful for that.
1: Wow, well, yeah. That's oh that that that's really cool. It's very glad to hear. During high school were there any particular subjects or class projects that were a reflection of this inherent passion of yours? Did you ever did a movie as a, as a class project or something that stuck into your mind?
0: Uh, yes, ab- absolutely. So, so this really started happening. I've done some filmmaking on my own. Uh, my fir- the first movies I actually made were stop motion animated films with Legos. There was this old uh, I believe it was called the Lego Steven Spielberg movie maker set. Uh, I got it for Christmas one year and it came with this editing software to make, and it's this little camera to make these stop motion animated films. So that's where I started. But then it was the summer of 2004 in between for me, 10th and 11th grade. Uh, and that was when I made a movie on my own that summer. And then I, you know, when we came back to school, I had. I burned a lot of DVDs of it, and I would loan it out to people, and soon everyone... It seemed like everyone in my grade saw the movie, and I quickly gained a reputation as, like, the kid who makes movies. And then that fall... Uh, I enlisted the help of some friends, and we we founded like the filmmaking club at the school. So this would become a more widespread thing. And then that led to at the end of that school year, and this happened then the following year, my senior year, we had a film festival. And so at that point, it seemed like those two grades were also the years that suddenly more class projects came up where there were opportunities to make movies. And I would just go wild with that, and they would always be way too ambitious, and uh, <laughs> and I would you know, just stay up all night the night before it was due, just editing, and, uh, and I'd be falling asleep in school the next day. And so there were a lot of these. There were, I remember in um, my AP English class, we read Hamlet, and then we had to pick a scene from Hamlet and adapt it as a film, but in some other genre. And my friends and I, we put together this way too complicated thing. We did the final scene of Hamlet, which has the sword fight. And we staged as a, uh, doing like a riff on film noir. But I, uh, and most of it set like in the middle of a snow covered field in February. And we had, you know, I mean, it was the classic, it was all black and white, uh, you know, copious amounts of fake blood. It was one of those things where we, we just put far more effort into it than was really necessary and than anyone else in the class did. Because any upper, like I would be making my own movies, but then any opportunity to just sort of like, you know, I guess I, I tend to get competitive, but to like, to be able to clearly beat everyone else in class. Every, if everyone was going to make a movie, I was like, I'm going to make the best movie. It's going to be better than everybody's. And so I would sort of treat it like that. So yeah, uh, the um, amount of movies I made for class projects in, uh, in high school, it was I I can't even count them all right now.
1: When the time came to start considering higher education, were you always from the start being like, Of course, you know, I'm going to continue with the interest and I'm going to go to film school, or were your school advisors telling you, You have done all these projects, you should consider film school? Or it just came from another source, or was it always clear from the start?
0: Okay, so this is actually an interesting point because so I in a very cliche American film student way. In high school, I, I was like, I want to go to NYU and study film there because it's the really obvious thing. It's like the, the place... I mean, obviously, there's like USC and UCLA and other... There's plenty of places with good film programs. But I was like, I want to go to NYU. And I and I specifically had always wanted to live in New York City. I really don't want to seem like I'm throwing my parents under the bus here because they, again, have always been so supportive. The I think the only time... There was ever the slightest bit of resistance on their part was when it came to college. My dad always believed that it was, you know, really beneficial to go to a good college where you would be in like a, a challenging environment, surrounded by smart, interesting people. There are some schools that are just specifically film schools where that is like all it is. It is
1: ju- the only thing you do. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's just film all the time. And they said we would like you to go to a liberal arts school. Where you, you, There is a film program, but where in case you, you know, switch interests and decide you want to do something else, there is the option there to study many things. I think I'm remembering this correctly. Uh, they didn't let me apply early decision to NYU. I, and I think that honestly may have just been a, like a financial thing. Honestly, I can't remember the details of it, but I, what happened with college was um, I applied to eight schools and I got into two of them. And uh, I, I ended up going to my sixth choice. I did not get into NYU. I did not get into any of the schools with great film programs that I applied to. Uh, it was a very disappointing week when I heard back from all of these schools and just got a pile of rejection letters. What ended up happening with college, was I went to Oberlin College uh, in Ohio, which is a a, a good liberal arts school. Uh, it's the same place my dad went there. My sister, who's two years younger than me, ended up going there as well. Uh, strangely, while they're not known for their, their film program, there have been three television shows in the past decade uh, set in New York City, created by people who went to my college. So I guess things did work out, but When I went to college, my intent was, I was like, the school is fine, but look, film is not one of their specialties. I'll probably transfer after a year to a school with a better film program. And then what happened was, I went to the school, and I liked it, and I made a lot of friends. And and I decided, you know what? I don't... like this has what I need. I don't need to go through this whole first year again at some other school. I don't want to do that. Um, I think I'll be fine. And I stayed at the school for a full four years.
1: Wow. During those university years, how did your interest in, not just in filmmaking, but just pop culture in general, how did it change and evolve? Well,
0: what's interesting, of course, about, and I feel like this is the case with anyone you know, going into college and uh, our university and, and studying the thing that they were interested in before, it's always an interesting experience to to suddenly take this extracurricular interest and then study it in an academic setting with people who share that interest and with professors who know way more than you. And so the way my school was set up was that they didn't have what was called a film program; they had, and this became my major, they had a cinema studies program which was pretty much like an English degree, except for film. So instead of reading a lot of literature and writing papers about books, I, we would watch a lot of movies and write papers about those. And the classes that they did have that were specifically about production, about like working with cameras and making movies, that's what I was most interested in. I didn't think that uh the the theory classes the 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 classes about writing papers uh, about cinema um i sort of took as a necessity and uh and i never thought that i would ever make a living writing essays uh so i appreciate <laughs> the irony of where i am now i have a pretty broad taste in film i often tend to lean toward i like Genre cinema. I, li- you know, I, I like kinds of film that are not as much now, but especially in decades of the past, were kind of looked down upon as like lesser forms of cinema, like you know, uh, action or horror or science fiction movies or th- things like that. And so, some of the culture. At this department uh, at my school, I was a little bit resistant to. I, I I I I tended to I would get sick of the movies other people in class were talking about. I would get frustrated when they when other students would sort of dismiss kinds of films that I was interested in. And so and especially like at the beginning of of my time at college, I remember taking Cinema One Hundred and One when. The professors would be telling us, look, um, the way to look at a film, the way to analyze a film is to treat every single thing that happens, every edit, every shot uh, as a deliberate choice on on the part of the filmmaker and, and to ask yourself, what is the purpose behind that choice? What are they trying to say? And right away, I was looking at this being like, no, not not everything has to mean something. I don't want to look at it that way. Sometimes you just do something because it's cool. And that this was very much me speaking to someone who did not think about, who did not try to lace my own films with a lot of subtext, mm. uh, or make them personal statements. And so I, I I was very much just projecting myself and my feelings about my own not very good work onto these other films. And finally, I kind of relented and did realize like, oh, okay, analyzing movies this way is not making them boring. It's not sucking the fun out of them. If, if anything, it's adding... Uh, fun to them and, and looking like, okay, literally any movie, what might this be saying? Uh, what even, Whether it intentional or, or not on the part of the filmmaker. It, it was definitely a, a real experience to to go in kind of resistant and then sort of warm up to it over time. But at the same time, the uh, the movies I would make at college were usually uh, meet sort of re- either resisting what everyone else at school was doing or almost trying to antagonize them. because what i would find is i mean there are cliches of the student film there are you know film students are often known for making insufferable pretentious movies that are just really up their own ass that really want to announce how smart they are and how advanced the and and High-minded, the the reference points of the filmmaker are, and this really pissed me off when I was in school, and uh, I didn't like the other movies people in class would make, and so I would, in response to that, try to make the most sort of uh, like aggressive genre pieces that I could. That I I was like, these are not going to be pretentious; these are going to be fun. Sometimes they will just actively make like be making fun of other movies people in the school are making, uh, because I think their movies are so annoying. It it was definitely a, a really good learning experience. I don't think much of what I made at school was especially good, but I learned so much from it. Really, for me, during college, really, this is more like the end of high school, the beginning of college. The biggest learning experience for me was that I made this in my hometown with my friends. I made this trilogy of feature length films in my uh junior year of high school. we made this this one was not a feature film a a half hour like action comedy film that premiered at the film festival I organized at the end of the year and then and we did a whole marketing campaign in the school we the cast and crew had t- shirts with the release date on the front of them we would we made a trailer that we would show in our classes we put posters up everywhere we really hyped this up and then we made dvds of the movie with bonus features and sold those and then the following year the summer after we all graduated from high school we made a a feature-length sequel it was 70 minutes long that just basically uh, anyone who watched the first one and wanted to be involved, we would just put them in somehow. So the cast was enormous. <laughs> and then when we were all home for for Christmas break uh, after our first semester uh, at university, I rented out this screening room at the local art center. Uh, and we did a premiere with like, a, you know, a hundred or so people in attendance. And then the following year, we did the same thing was so like, we like we've got to end the trilogy and so we made i think the third movie was a hundred minutes long i we made it that following summer and to be extremely clear these movies are not good they were made by an 18 year old who did one draft of the script and basically just (laughs) threw in any wacky idea that i had or anytime some cast member would be like hey would it, be, would it be fun if like this happened to my character? And I would say, yeah, sure. Great. That's in the movie now. And but what happened was making a hundred minute long movie where I was the writer, director, producer, cinematographer, editor doing all the sound, I, I just did everything I, with a cast of like 30 people or so. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no training in this. No one taught me how to do any of it. If I knew better, at like knowing now, uh, it was way too ambitious. But I had at this point announced that I was making the movie and announced that it was going to be done and uh, available to see at a certain time. And there were people expecting this. And so the only choice I, made, I, I had was to find a way to make the whole movie. What happens during this experience was everything that could possibly go wrong went wrong. I mean, this was an it was an action movie, and when like a week after we started production on the second one, i my lead actor who has to do fight scenes and run around in like every scene gets knee surgery and can't walk for oh, three months God. yeah, uh, that happens. There was one part where I wrote a car chase into the script, which was stupid of me, <laughs> and of course, back then it's like everyone's like you know they're like high school students, like not everyone owns a car. And the guy who owned one of the cars uh, who would be in the scene shows up and says, hey, so I have to leave to go to the airport in half an hour. And so I realized, okay, uh, A, I don't know how to shoot a car chase. And B, we have to now suddenly figure out how to shoot a car chase in half an hour. And I had to figure out a way to do it. And we did it. Was it safe? No, it was not. But (laughs) uh, by the way, the the answer is um, you just do the car chase for real uh and have one car chase the other and i would just hang out the window of one car uh with the camera a and, camera oh and my film God. it all and then we would stop halfway through and i would switch to the other car and just film out of that window and then i it would just edit all together it was n- i don't recommend it
1: you were maximizing the possibility of an accident
0: exactly not safe uh thankfully nothing went wrong but but pretty much what making these movies Uh, forced me to learn was just how to get good at adapting to any problem that would arise, uh, any just unforeseen complication or issue, because the only choice was we, we had to finish it. And so I got very good at problem solving and about thinking on my feet and adapting to whatever may happen as much as i learned especially about like film theory and how cinema works when i was you know in taking my classes in college i learned just as much if not more from making those movies and just having to deal with everything that happened and that and i still look back on that like this is we're talking about like 2006 or 7 now i uh, i still look back on those experiences and i'm so grateful for them because the lessons that I learned from those experiences, I'm still like, carrying with me today, and uh, they're, they're still so helpful.
1: That's the magic of school sometimes, isn't it? Just having a, an opportunity to do something and do it poorly so you can learn from the mistakes. Exactly. So at what point during this time did you start participating in the internet more actively? Because like a common thread that I have seen from a lot of interviews is that uh, this was before the internet started, or right around the time the internet was becoming quote-unquote mainstream. Before that, it was more of a geeky thing. Um, But I'm curious to know when the internet became a part of your specific life.
0: I think I recall my family getting the internet on our computer in the late 90s, somewhere around 97 or 98 that said it was obviously very slow and all i used it for for years pretty much was to look up information about movies uh and watch trailers for movies and trailers would take about 2 hours to load back then like a 2 minute trailer would take that long and that's all i used it for for a while and then as like going into the the 2000s uh i would still primarily just use it for you know reading movie reviews uh reading news about upcoming movies cuz th- that's really when i was just like becoming fanatical about film and and following uh just like just what was happening like with upcoming movies and then of course there was the period in i think once you get to around you know 2003 4 5 that is when uh just internet video started to become a much bigger thing And, you know, you had it's pre-YouTube, but you had sites like e-bombs world and stuff like that, where there were just funny Internet videos. Uh, And then, of course, I think it was 2006 that YouTube really became a thing. I have thought about this, that if I had a time machine and could go back and give my younger self any important advice, it would be to start making youtube videos much earlier than i actually did <laughs> uh because that's the thing like in 2007 youtube is a thing people have already started making short videos for youtube uh because it was the really early days there um and instead i'm making a like a feature length film that is only going to play for people in my hometown like i i was not thinking i i i was making a big project, but in terms of the the reach of it I was thinking very small I was not thinking about reaching people you know uh on the other side of the world or anything like that so really what would happen is I would you know i I, I had a, a youtube account and I would make a tra- I, for instance I would make a trailer for my upcoming movie uh or like I'd put the movies that I made in like the short films I made in college on there but You know, I was only posting the links on Facebook. Uh, I I was really only trying to reach people I already knew. I I don't know why I wasn't thinking beyond that and thinking about the possibilities of who I could reach. Uh, It took me far too long to really do that.
1: So this was during college, right? Yes. You reached the end of your college life. And what happened next? At what point did YouTube started becoming a consideration in your life. Did it happen by accident? Did it happen much later after that? What happened next?
0: Okay, so this is a time I remember very clearly. I had a cinema studies degree from college, which basically means I can analyze and talk about movies. Um, unsurprisingly, there are not jobs just waiting for people with that degree and i knew all all i knew is i after college i wanted to make movies i wanted to just do filmmaking that's all i really cared about there was no real just obvious like there
1: job path
0: right yeah there just there just isn't uh and so what i did was stupidly um was in my last year of college i decided i'm just going to apply to grad school but specifically for like mfa film programs uh, because that way I can just stay in school and keep making movies and, put on, and just postpone the real world and not have to worry about paying my student loans yet and stuff like that, but I just, just by accruing more debt. Um, but I was also arrogant about it, and I decided I will only apply to the three best film schools in the country. And so I applied to NYU, USC, and Columbia. Uh, I got rejected by NYU and USC. I got waitlisted at Columbia. And then eventually I did not get admitted. Uh, And I'm really grateful for that because I was applying for the wrong reasons. I was just applying to postpone the inevitable, not because I was really passionate about continuing my education. So what happened was I went home. Uh, at first i was also, i i i made several bad decisions in this the span of this year what it would happen was every summer i would come home uh to my hometown instead of doing an internship or getting a job somewhere i mean like, i i would get a job in my hometown but instead of thinking about you know career opportunities and making smart choices uh to like make connections and network i would just come home and with uh since i had i had this whole network of of people i knew and and friends who we had made all those movies with We would just make movies every summer. Uh, That would be it. And so I came home after graduating from college, and I got everyone together and said, we're going to make this really ambitious web series, this big, like, 30-part thing with, like, all of these interconnected stories. And immediately it started not going well. Instantly, people's schedules were not working and we were having to shoot it all out of order. And I was just losing my mind with stress trying to make this work. I think I was throwing myself so hard into this so as not to think about serious life stuff that I really should have been considering. And a few weeks into this, my parents sat me down and said, Patrick, you do whatever you want, but we think you should maybe just take a break and like put this aside and just relax for a little while and then maybe you know, after a month, just find like some like job for a little while. So you have an income. And so I did that. I pulled the plug on that project that clearly was never going to work out. Uh, I relaxed for a bit and then I just got a retail job and for about the next, yeah, for the next year, I just, chilled out, worked retail, and then while sort of strategizing about my next moves. And what happened right at the beginning of this time, a friend from college sent me, uh, I was not following YouTube avidly. I mostly just used it to, I'd watch random funny videos and stuff like that. But a a friend from college sent me a link to, remember the channel, Freddie W? Yes. That became Rocket Jump. Mm -hmm. and um, But at the time it was People making short films, like people with film degrees, that and also doing tutorials about stuff like After Effects and how to like make action scenes. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. A, I can learn more about After Effects and how to do visual effects, which I had just started teaching myself. And also, this was like seemed like a real path that it's not just You know, people making, like, wacky, uh, like, sort of, like, cheaply produced comedy sketches. These are people who are actually, like, interested in filmmaking building an audience here.
1: Didn't they eventually end up making Video Game High School?
0: They did, yes.
1: Which is, which was, by the way, a great show.
0: (laughs) It was. Look, I I, I, uh, donated to their Kickstarter campaign.
1: (laughs) This is actually happening. (sighs) Everyone says I won't make it, but... I have to try. I mean, I have dreamed of playing on a VGHS team since I was E for everyone. But I hope you'll understand.
0: And that was it. They were just, you know, they they were guys who graduated from film school and uh, and then said, hey, let's make short, fun internet videos. And so for this this next year, I started watching that a lot and then looking at other YouTube stuff and realizing, oh. YouTube, and again, I should have realized this, you know, three or four years ago, but it had become this like viable, like commercial and artistic platform where you could, you know, make interesting creative stuff and reach an audience. And so then skip ahead to exactly one year after I graduated from college. Simultaneously, I started my now current YouTube channel. and I can't believe this is nine years ago. And I also started a business doing freelance video work. And that basically, and I realize I'm skipping ahead over probably your next question, but then uh, once the video business started doing better and I could stop doing the retail job, these sort of became my main two things. I would do the freelance video work, making like promotional and corporate videos. I did a lot of work for colleges in the area because they always need videos about events happening. And that would be my source of income. And then I would use that to fund my work on YouTube which was for five and a half years making no money at all, but was a lot of fun.
1: Okay. Wow. At this time, we have reached a point where you have your job as a freelance video maker, but you also have your passion as a YouTuber and you're sort of putting resources and time into it. When did the big break happen? When was it very gradual during those 10 years? Or were there some sparks that lit that, Gunpounder that that made you actually consider focus all of your time into YouTube?
0: Ah, uh, It's so funny looking back at this time because what happened was, so for five and a half years, the channel's audience grew so slowly. The videos also back then were not the videos I'm making now. They were not video essays. The videos were all some sort of either, they, they were all purely narrative. They were short films. They would be, they often were sort of, try to avoid using the word parody, but it is sometimes appropriate, but they would usually be funny videos involving movies or comic books or something like that. And I would often try to tie them into some sort of topical pop culture thing. There would occasionally be a video that would do well, that would get picked up by various websites because back then this stopped mattering after a while, but there were several years where the way to get views on YouTube, where if you got picked up by some sort of major media site and they wrote an article about the video and then boom. So I would always, I would have this sort of process where I'd make a video and then I would have this whole list of sites where I would email it to them because it's the kind of thing that like they might post. And then I would be like, Hey, you might be interested in this video. And, um, and I cross my fingers and hope that they would, uh, you know, write about my video. And there were certain videos that did get traction and that did do well. I really thought I had my big break in 2015. That was the year that seemed like everything was going to happen, and then it didn't. So I should say, the way I was approaching YouTube all this time was I was not looking to make a career on YouTube or to make a, a living from revenue from YouTube. I was treating YouTube pretty much as a portfolio, as a place to... Make videos that would hopefully get the attention of the right people and then lead to work in other filmmaking work in other places. Again, I appreciate the irony of where I am now. (laughs) So in 2015, in March 2015, um, I'd been working on this for months. I had had this idea the year before. I'd started this series uh, that I called Alternate Universe Comic Book Movies, where the premise was what if in some parallel universe. Some great filmmaker who would never normally make a superhero movie did make one. And then what would their version of that be like? It combined so many of my interests and uh, I I would do these really deep dives on these filmmakers and study all of their like recurring visual signatures and like the themes they would put in all of their work and think like I try to get in their head and figure out how might they actually approach this character in this movie. And the w- idea that I thought was the best one, I was like, this is honestly like, this is the best idea I've ever had. And I'm pretty sure if I do this well, it will work. Uh, it was a video called What If Wes Anderson Directed X-Men? Have you ever gotten the impression that the professor is just using us as props in his mutant rights campaign?
1: Well, nice to say that. Gene, please stop undermining me. And in case you forgot... I can read all your thoughts, so maybe next time think about that first.
0: And uh, I spent more money on it than I usually would on videos. I think the budget was like maybe five hundred dollars because I had there were a lot of costumes and props, and I you know rented some equipment to shoot it on. And we shot this video, released it in March 2015, and it worked. The video like went viral, like got picked up by like every media platform. And I will say. It did not lead to a massive boost in subscribers. I think I went from maybe like 13,000 to 18,000 subscribers, but the video got like, you know, a few million views and and it led to suddenly meetings with a like with producers and agencies and stuff like that. And I spent most of the year, I I can say this now, developing a series with Vanity Fair uh that was like a spin-off of that video. And uh, they, they paid me to write scripts for episodes. Uh, it was going to be very cool. And then they, stuff internally changed at the company, and their video budgets got slashed, and they pulled the plug on all of it. And suddenly, at the end of 2015, I was back at square one. All of the momentum from my, my big video was gone. None of the people who had like reached out to me and had, I'd talked with would return my emails anymore. And, uh, and I didn't have any ideas that were as good as Wes Anderson's X-Men. Also, right around this time, just due to just stress from all of this, I got shingles, which was great. It went from like the high point of all of this at the beginning of the year to the low point of like the last decade of my life at the end of 2015.
1: It is amazing just how virality can accidentally destroy a life.
0: It's true.
1: I have been there. (laughs) I have my own story with that. I have been there. (laughs) So it's, however, fascinating to me to notice that your entire strategy was, oh, let's use YouTube as a portfolio and maybe that will open some doors to some like proper filmmaking opportunities. And it kind of almost did. And it only fell apart due to a thing that you can't control, which I think is fascinating.
0: Yeah, it's like, it almost worked. I really thought like that was the year that i mean look when suddenly like major media companies are saying like yeah we think you know we can give you this budget to make this video i was i was freaking out it was like this is exactly what i've been working for all of this time and it came very close and then it didn't happen and uh yeah and then it turns out the following year was when things actually worked out
1: Okay, so what happened there after that That time of depression?
0: So now we're into 2016, and I was still making videos in 2016, and some of them did well, uh, but nothing did as well as the Wes Anderson X-Men. Nothing led to any new career opportunities. And then, so skip ahead to uh, fall 2016. And so at this point, I was, uh, I was really starting to think, maybe youtube is just not gonna work out and i spent two months just not making videos and i just sort of stepped back and i started just watching a lot of other stuff on on youtube i started watching like like you know uh daily vlogs and stuff like that and just the stuff that i wa- i wouldn't usually watch and i was like i'm gonna take this time to just rethink my approach to this platform because you know, nothing else is happening. Like I I have no momentum anymore at all. And so what I decided to do, I said I would basically have one last run at YouTube. Uh, Well, so during the past several years, the videos came out maybe every three or four weeks. They were all so complicated to make that they would take a really long time. There was no set schedule. I would do stupid things like, for instance, after the Wes Anderson X-Men was a, a big hit, The smart thing I recognize now to do would have been to have a similar video come out like right after it, like like you know the next like uh like week or two, and suddenly like build on that momentum. Instead, I just didn't make a video for a month after that, and then it was like a totally different video. So I was not good at strategy at all. And so in late 2016, what I decided I'd do was I'd spend about three months doing like one last shot at YouTube, and what I would do was instead of trying to you know make a big ambitious short film every 3 weeks i would actually just make a video every week i would release a video every wednesday for 3 months and try to actually have consistency and build some kind of momentum and i would try different kinds of videos so we'd see what might possibly work and i i realized that i can't make a short film Every single week, because that's so complicated. So I was like, I'll try different kinds of videos. I was like, look, I have a degree in cinema studies. I know how to write an essay about film. So the way I had it scheduled was the first two weeks of this were short films. And then the third video, I said, you know what? I've been watching some video essays on YouTube. I'll try making a video essay. I actually, honestly, what happened with this was uh, I was tel- talking to a friend about this and uh, telling them my plan, uh, my friend Jake, who helps me with a lot of the videos. And uh, I was like, yeah, I think I might try a video essay. And he said, oh, you should just like turn your like rant about Marvel color grading into a video because you've been yelling about that for years. Because I, I had issues with the the color grading and aesthetic of Marvel Studios films. And so I was like, OK, cool. Yeah, I'll I can do that. I was. Positive, no one would watch this. Uh, this was now, this was, I think, the week after the, the 2016 election in the US, uh, a real high point for everyone's morale. So I, I, I released this video called Why Do Marvel's Movies Look Kind of Ugly that I was sure nobody would watch because it was about color grading, a really boring subject that most people don't care about. I was wrong uh the video did very well it is the second most viewed video on the channel after the wes anderson x-men and uh suddenly the like the subscriber count that it had taken me five and a half years to build doubled in a week and suddenly i realized oh okay all of these years when i thought no one would want to hear me talk about movies uh in like a nonfiction way i guess i was wrong maybe i should do more of this that's what really made the channel pop, as they say. And that's began like the steady growth that, uh, that turned into, you know, me having a career on here.
1: I find it super interesting because one, I remember that video because I saw it on the front page of Reddit. That was the first time I heard of you. Like I remember the Reddit post of that video.
0: Wow, yeah, that, that, was, that was one where I could pinpoint it too. I was like, where are all these views coming from? I was like, oh, Reddit, interesting.
1: And uh, the second that I think it's an interesting observation is that even though it's your second most popular video, there's a difference between something that is purely viral and something that is actually audience constructive. Something that has a format that makes people go, okay, that was not just only fun, I want to see more of this. Like I want to see a series of things like this, rather than the viral thing that you just thought was funny and then you forget about it.
0: Right. Exactly. What's interesting is if you look at the videos on my channel from, you know, pre-late 2016, I wasn't in most of them. The channel was my name, but I was always the guy behind the camera. There was no consistent voice or presence to the channel. It was always like a cast of—there were like recurring cast members— but the channel was named after a guy who you weren't seeing. So this was really the first time that it was something like, oh, no, this is this person's perspective on something. And at the end of the video, I show up and I say, so if you like want to see more video essays, let me know. I could, I, I guess, make more. And I didn't think anyone would want that. But then I suddenly all, all the comments are like, yes, please make more of these. That time I learned the lesson that I should have learned a year and a half earlier, which was, okay, if people like a thing, do more of that. And do it immediately.
1: <laughs> you follow that up with another video with the same format.
0: It, it wasn't quite the same format in terms of, like, you know, why is something ugly or something like that, but I, just more video essays. You know, I spent all that time in college learning how to analyze and write about cinema. And I would just spend so much time on my own, just going down these rabbit holes of just like, you know, my various interests in cinema just being like, let, let me study the, the career of this director or, or wow, how, how did this movie influence all these other movies? And, and just like, this is stuff that I would just be doing on my own for fun. And then I would just be yelling at my friends about, and they'd just be like, Patrick, stop it. I, like, we, we don't care as much as you do. And so I would channel all of those things then into videos. The vast majority of the video essays on the channel are just things that I would have been researching on my own just for fun. And now I just take that and just turn them into these pieces that I, I hope other people enjoy as much as I do making them.
1: Well, I have a very important question now. Yes. Now that, that, that the idea on the direction that you wanted to go was starting to become more clear, at what point did you look yourself in the mirror and think, I should add my parents to this? <laughs>
0: There is a very specific moment there because that's a very good question. As I mentioned, I've always had, you know, very supportive parents who I think are really fun people. And um, over the years, I think every so often I would like ask them to just, if I was visiting, I would be like, hey, can you appear in a shot or something like that? Also, when I was talking to my friend Jake uh, about, you know, my idea to do some video essays and explore some nonfiction topics, one of the things he said was, oh, you should turn your Fast and Furious rant into a video. Because as all of my friends knew, a thing that happened a lot is if we were at some party, if I would hear someone just mention that they hadn't seen the Fast and Furious movies, I would leap across the room and go into what became (laughs) uh, a very consistent, monologue about all of the reasons people should see them and uh, and like, like my guides to how to get into them and why they're great. I did it enough times that it was like the same monologue every time. And so I was like, hey, that's a good idea. And so I wrote this video called, uh, it was going to be called Patrick Explains the Fast and Furious and Why It's Great. And then two days before I shot the video, which was originally just going to be me in front of like a white backdrop talking to the camera i had this just this random thought of wait wouldn't it be more fun to present this in like a context where maybe i have shown up at my parents house and am just uh like maybe like drinking a bottle of whiskey and just monologuing to them just uh, about these movies i thought that that'll be fun uh and so it was a very last minute decision to just add them in there. My dad took a little bit of coercing to appear in the video. He was like, okay, I'll do it, but don't put my name in the credits. He wasn't retired yet, so maybe he was afraid that it would impact his job in some way. But yeah, it was just a last minute decision. It was not meant to be a series at all. It was just a... A silly idea i had for one video and the response was so good that immediately i realized oh we have to do more of these and i have to put my parents in in these more and and then and it's been really funny as this has gone on because my parents really enjoy it and they've gotten very skilled at it in terms of like they know the process of shooting videos now and so they know that okay, maybe like give me a few different readings of different lines, uh, so that I have options in editing, and so they they know the process really well, and we'll have conversations about th- about the upcoming videos and uh, and you know maybe like stuff they could do in them or or places the story could go. So it's become this really fun collaboration between my parents and I, and they love it because the audience response to them is so good, and uh, as much as. You know, YouTube comments sections are generally known as one of the more unpleasant places on the internet. The comments on the videos that they're in are just so overwhelmingly positive. They think it's the funniest thing, that they have fans now. So it's it's been great. And, And it all came from just that silly decision of like, I don't know, maybe I'll just throw my parents in this video.
1: You have told me that they have been recognized in public before, which is wild.
0: They have. Uh, I believe it only—it's only happened once. But to be fair, my parents are kind of reclusive, and they—they uh, they try to avoid avoid crowded public places. And so I've I told them, like, look, guys, if if you ever just spend some—I mean, of course, like if the world is ever back to normal, but if you guys ever just spend some time in New York City, I bet I bet people—I I, want to—I want to witness people recognizing them on the street. Because that'll be the moment where I'm just like, all of my work was worth it for this. I just, <laughs> just want to see my parents react to meeting a fan.
1: Oh, my God. This is a terrible idea. But if VETCON ever comes back to being a physical <laughs> thing, <laughs> just <laughs> just walking your, your parents through VETCON and seeing if anything happens.
0: Oh, 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 trust me, Alex. I've thought about it.
1: <laughs> I imagine. So when during this process, did you stop doing your film business and decided to do YouTube as a full-time thing?
0: The channel started growing in at the end of 2016, and, and it was pretty steady. I, I will say the most rapid growth I think the channel has ever had was in the span of about eight or nine months from November 2016 through summer 2017. Around this time, obviously, the only Revenue I was made i mean of course, it's always weird to talk about like the financial aspect of of YouTube uh, there were no sponsors on the videos there was it was just Google adsense w- which I made nothing from before and uh and then suddenly like, oh as these videos are like performing better, suddenly I'm actually like getting like a payment each month. that's new. It was mid twenty seventeen so about eight months later that that was when I I first got a sponsor on a video and suddenly I realized, like, okay, this is becoming like more of a source of income. I was pretty much full time because I was working on it constantly and still trying to make weekly videos, which I can't believe I did for so long because now the videos come out every two weeks. But during that time, it was mid 2017 where I was thinking, okay, I think in the near future, I will actually be able to stop taking freelance gigs. And I believe the last freelance gig I took was in the spring of 2018. I sort of like slowed down over over the course of 2017 Uh, as the videos did better. I took on fewer and fewer freelance gigs. And then the last one I took was, yeah, it was, I think it was May 2018. And it was just basically a gig for my oldest client. And it was like a one weekend shoot. And I was like, you know what? I'll do this this i'll I'll finish up with this one uh, because i've I've been working with them for so long, and then going forward, that'll be it and and really, that was it. it. It was kind of just a a gradual like year and a half process of just like slowing down uh taking freelance gigs until it was like by yeah, as of May 2018, it was just full time with YouTube all the time.
1: What's the future for Patrick Williams? What do what do you ambition? The direction that you want to take your career on now?
0: I realize that it's funny thinking about this because my answer has not changed since two thousand six. <laughs> I still want to. Uh, the the goal is absolutely direct movies, professional filmmaking work. It is very funny to me that you know the channel is primarily known for my commentary and analysis and uh, on cinema and my opinions as opposed to the actual filmmaking work. It was at the beginning of 2018 that I changed the way I make video essays and added all the narrative components to them and made them sort of like a blend of short film and video essay because when I was doing the more traditional uh, video essay style of voiceover with uh, movie clips... While it's a, it, it it's it's a style that totally works, and I love so many channels that that use it. I just found that I wasn't enjoying the process as much because I just you know it it is the the process of filmmaking of like shooting stuff with a camera and designing shots and having scenes. That's what I'm most passionate about, and so when I wasn't doing that, it was really bothering me. And so and, and also the idea of like of having the videos be examples of you know. My sensibilities and uh, and just being displays of of my filmmaking, like I, I kind of need them to be that. It's funny, the goal has not changed that much. It's just the strategy behind it has shifted. Uh, so while it used to be, I would hope that, oh, I will make stuff on YouTube and I ho- hopefully it will get attention and then people will reach out to me and offer me opportunities. Now the strategy has become more like, okay, I will... You know, build up this audience on YouTube and then use the audience and resources I've, I've accumulated in order to get the sort of the independent backing and and financing for independent film projects. To be able to still make them independently, but to not wait for someone to come along and, uh, and hire me for a thing. Just to, to be able to, to actually say, like, look, I have this audience. Please, uh, like, like, look, I can maybe even raise the money myself. A big lesson that I learned during the year of 2015 when I thought everything was going to happen is that when it comes to film, people will only hire you to do what you've already done. So let's say I wanted to direct a television episode. But the thing that I was known for was directing a four-minute internet video. And in all these meetings I had, people said, well, we only know that you can make a four-minute internet video. So that's the only kind of thing that we're going to hire you to do. And so what I learned was, oh, if I want to direct anything longer, I have to first make a longer thing on my own and then show I can do that. And then maybe people will hire me to do it. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm ready to just bail on YouTube and peace out and just like just ditch the channel instantly because I love doing this and I love just having a place where that I'll, that I'll always have where I can you know post whatever I want and people can watch it immediately and I have no intention of of leaving, you know, within a year or anything like that. But, uh, but it's just something that when planning ahead in terms of, like, next steps, I absolutely plan on continuing with this channel full-time for the foreseeable future. Of, of course, this is what a year this has been. In April, we were supposed to shoot a short film with an actual budget that, when it happens, will premiere on Nebula. We have a short film written. We have the budget there. Uh, we are ready to shoot, but then a pandemic hit the world, and everything shut down. So I can't tell you when we're going to shoot it, but that there is a just straight-up 20-minute narrative film that I am going to make in the near future. And hopefully, beyond that, there will be more things like that, maybe bigger, maybe longer projects. The short answer now that I've given you a very long rambling answer, is <laughs> the, the plan for now is continue with the channel, keep trying to make it better and more fun and more interesting, while also increasing the amount of just of just pure narrative film work. And hopefully that increases and continues as time goes on.
1: One less for the road, if anyone listening to this is finding inspiration in your work, the same way you found inspiration in something like Rocket Jump. What would be your very quick advice for them?
0: It is quite simply to don't wait until you have the right equipment or the great idea or, or the means to execute your like your masterpiece, your genius idea. Just start making things immediately with whatever resources you have and do it a lot. And try to do it on a regular schedule because your initial work probably won't be amazing, and the only way to get it as good as you want it to be uh, is to keep practicing and keep learning and just do it over and over and over again. I maybe should have quit so many times over, you know, the the five and a half years uh, when things mostly weren't working out, and I'm really grateful that I just stuck with it for so long until things finally did work. I, I really think so much of this is just having this sort of like single-minded focus on 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 getting to a place and just sticking with it and learning and and trying to grow and improve. I can't promise it will eventually get there. I think if you stick with it long enough, it will usually work out in some way.
1: Well, it has been delightful to have you here, Patrick. Thank you so much. Of course, Alex, thank you
0: so much for having me. This was a lot of fun.